I'm Paul Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this is Way Too Seriously, the podcast where we watch kids' movies and then take them way too seriously. This week we watched and we'll be talking about Captain Underpants. Jan, do you want to tell us a little bit about this movie? All right, so Captain Underpants, the first epic movie, is a 2017 movie uh, produced by DreamWorks and Scholastic Directed by David Soren, written by Nicholas Stoller, uh, with the voices of Kevin Hart, Ed Helms, Thomas Middleditch, Nick Kroll, Jordan Peele, and Kristen Schaal. And so, Paul, why don't you tell us a little bit about the plot of Captain Underpants? So, Captain Underpants is based on the series of children's books by Dave Pilkey. Our kids are really into these books. I should have to be a good parent, but have not ever read any of them. No? No. I've I've read a couple of them. Okay, so the plot of the movie is two elementary school students, George Beard and Harold Hutchins, are best friends who play pranks and get their mean principal, Mr. Krupp, mad at them. One day to get out of trouble, George uses a hypno ring and successfully hypnotizes Mr. Krupp into thinking that he is Captain Underpants a parody superhero created by the two boys. Captain Underpants has various uh, wacky adventures until a real supervillain, their substitute or their new science teacher, turns out to be a supervillain named Professor Poopypants, and Captain Underpants has to use real superpowers to stop Professor Poopypants, whose evil scheme is to remove the part of people's brains that makes them want to laugh. In the end, George and Harold decide that Captain Underpants is more trouble to them than their principal, Mr. Krupp, was, and they smash the hypno ring, intending to end Captain Underpants once and for all. But it didn't work, and anytime anyone snaps their fingers, Mr. Krupp turns into Captain Underpants again, and so the road is paved for a sequel. That's basically the books, too. Is, so is that just the first book, I assume? Um, it's a combination of the first book and the second book. Okay. Because so the, the second book is the perilous plot of Professor Poopy, Professor Poopy Pants. And the first book is The Talking Toilets? No, the first book is just The Adventures of Captain Underpants. Okay. So the first book is when he turns into the hypno ring and he turns into Captain Underpants and the second one has the supervillain. So yeah, it's just a combination of the two first two books. Okay. So being ob- as objective as we are able to be, mm-hmm. how good of a movie is this? It's pretty good. It's good for what it is. Like it's, uh, it's got a lot of potty humor and that's who it's for is for kids who like potty humor. Yeah. As advertised on the tin. Exactly. It's exactly what it is on the tin, and it's got a lot of funny moments for that. It's it's got a fun kind of meta style where it keeps going in and out of different animation styles and even goes into realistic sock puppets at one point, and that's like kind of makes it interesting, makes it unique in its its genre. Yeah, and they stop and talk directly to the audience often. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree, that was a fun conceit. Mm-hmm. And that's what the books are like, too. They stop and talk to their audience. Mm-hmm. Um, highlights? Uh, it was funny. I like body humor. 
<laughs> I, um, my kids really like potty humor, and so I don't find it quite as funny as they do, no. obviously. But it is pretty funny, <laughs> and there's a lot of good good jokes, and I'm trying to remember some of the funny things about it, but it's just, it's a... It's a well it's a well conceived uh, movie and book series, and I think it does. I think it's really funny. Right. What about you? Highlights? I think the animation was actually a highlight, mm. which is a first for me for a DreamWorks movie since Prince of Egypt. Mm. I think this is the best animated DreamWorks movie since Prince of Egypt. Although the style is completely different from Prince of Egypt. Yeah. Sorry, um, and that's partly the changing styles. Every one of those styles is well executed and well conceived. I like the computer animation of the main story, like looks good. Uh, and then it moves into, you know, traditional animation or probably computer animation that's mimicking traditional animation, but of the like hand drawn comics drawn by the two. And that looks good, just like it does in the book. They capture it like very well. And then it, the sock puppets was well executed. Mm-hmm. So I really liked that. I thought that was really well done. Yeah. Um, I think that's my what yeah. I'm calling my highlight. I think what I found funny was things like, there's like the Saturday song and how like they can sit on Saturday and wear their pajamas all day. And then it's like, nope, time for school. And then boom, thundercloud kind of thing. Like a lot of situational humor like that. Yeah, the way that... The kind of meta humor where suddenly everything shifts or suddenly the credits roll. They pretend they are like, well, that we solved yeah. all the conflict and the movie's over faster than I expected. That was all pretty good. Um, how about Lowlights? It's a really, you know, basic movie. It's not like there's nothing, there's no depth to it whatsoever, I don't think. And maybe we'll get more into that way too seriously if you saw any depth. There's not a lot of depth to it. No. Aside from, I should have said, highlights is, uh, there's a lot of jokes about the public school system Mm -hmm. and like poking fun and saying, you know, hey, you're doing a bad job with the public school system that I appreciate because it's true. (laughs) Um, But lowlights are, yeah, that it's just, it's very, it's just, there's just not a lot to this movie. It's very, you know, it's popcorn, cotton candy. Yeah, Yeah. I'll, I'll agree with that. I... I think one of the lowlights, um, and this might seem petty, but the style of humor, there's not a lot of variety in the kind of humor. Like, if you don't find uh, potty humor funny, there's not a lot to find funny. Yes. Like, there are a few other kinds of jokes, but not a whole lot. So it's it's a narrow uh, style of humor. Mm -hmm. And in fact... Moving on to how much you enjoyed the movie. Yes. I'm going to say I think that you found it funnier than I did. Mm-hmm. And, like, I can f- I can find potty humor funny. I like the concept of Captain Underpants made me laugh the first time I heard it. But I also, in terms of my personal enjoyment, I think there's kind of a law of diminishing returns where, like... <laughs> It okay, yes, his name is Poopy Pants, but very funny. And I to me, in terms of my enjoyment of the movie, for a movie that central to the plot is how important it is 
to make people laugh. I didn't laugh very much in this movie. Hmm. I laughed more than you did. You did. The kids laughed a lot. The kids laughed their heads off. They thought it was... So the target audience success... Like, they made humor that this target audience found was funny. I think it's a personal thing rather than an objective judgment in how good of a job they did. Yeah. What they were aiming for, they clearly succeeded because our six-year-old and nine-year-old, like, rolled on the floor laughing. Although we had to explain why Uranus is funny. (laughs) (laughs) And once they did, like our nine-year-old had been laughing at Uranus all the way through. And then we explained what an anus was. And she like killed herself laughing. She had kind of been laughing because they were laughing, but not understanding the joke. And when she did understand the joke. She has liked space for a long time without knowing the Uranus, Uranus thing. And it was time. It was time that she, it was. Know, it was. I, I agree. It was time to explain that joke. I'm sad that I'm kind of sad that that time is over that where she didn't know that that, that joke, but you know, yeah. I think like after watching so many movies recently of like of higher quality, of higher animation quality, higher overall quality, watching this one was like, oh yeah, this is like your standard kids movie mm-hmm. that's like for kids, yeah, and. I could have easily fallen asleep during it and not missed much. Yeah. Yeah. And that's in terms of my enjoyment of it. Like a lot of the movies that we watch have uh, really profound elements or things that are really appealing either humor wise or in terms of serious themes appealing to adults. This movie is not trying to do that. No, not at all. And so I can't fault it. Except for the public school jokes. Yeah, and in fact, maybe that's already something to get a little bit into the way too seriously about. All right, so let's get into it. Let's get into the way Way too 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 seriously part of our show. There's an element to like, I mean, potty humor is potty humor. It is right in the nine-year-old, six-year-old, 11-year-old, like that range, and they found it really hilariously funny. But there are different kinds of what counts as a joke for adults. This movie, when it tries to throw in jokes for adults, uh, throws in some jokes about the public school system, like the... <laughs> Look what I've got! <gasps> a tiny school filled with tiny children <laughs> and the tiny teachers whose tiny salaries reflect their size and also the value society puts on education! <laughs> There's also, I think, basically, if I want to start noticing how this movie thinks about and treats women, there were a few throwaway adult-style jokes at the expense of women, and Mm. particularly, like, there's one where he says something about, I can't remember the line, but Professor Poopypants says something about, you know, they're uh, stupid and empty, or their heads are empty like supermodels. Hmm. You have no sense of humor like a chair or a supermodel. And it was... I missed that. And there was another one earlier where he said something very along the same kind of lines. Some, like, women are stupid joke. Mm. Oh, and then there was also the joke of uh, that they see that Mr. Krupp likes the lunch lady. And then the joke is... Ew! 
They like each other. Oh no, George, I think it's much worse. They like like each other. What are you talking about? Adults don't like like other adults. Well, you probably haven't seen it at your home since your parents are married. In my studies, like liking seems to end with marriage. That's another joke so quick that kids will miss it and it's aimed at grown-ups and it's kind of a... Distasteful clam. It's a distasteful clam and it's a sexist joke. And it's a... Because... I mean, and why is that a sexist joke particularly? Because at its core, it's the same joke as the Hotel Transylvania, Your Wife is a Shrew, as the uh, uh, Book of Life, uh, I don't actually want my wife to show up. It's the, like, marriage is a trap. That women trap you into. Women trap you in marriage. And that they don't say that part. But it is a the, that joke is a clam, and because it's a clam, it's a joke that's been told a lot, and we don't have to hear the rest of the joke to know how the rest of the joke goes. And the rest of the joke goes that women trap you in marriage, and it's a ball and your wife is a ball and chain. And uh, should we quickly define what a clam is? Yeah, I don't think go. we've ever said that on this show. A clam is uh, a repeated joke that gets done over and over, especially in TV writing. TV writers refer to an overused joke as a clam. I don't know why it's called a clam. I, it, I can't remember. It's a reference to Murphy Brown, a repeated joke they made on Murphy Brown oh, about, about clam chowder. Oh, okay. But I don't know what the joke was. But a great example of a clam is like, man, that guy's super terrible and awful. Beat. He's right behind me, isn't he? Yeah. Right? It's a joke where, like, as soon as they start making it, you know what the entire joke is going to be, and it gets played again and 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 again. And the marriage is awful. Yeah, is a clam. Is a clam, and it's a clam. Clams tend to play upon stereotypes, and they tend to play upon social convention, and because patriarchy. Because white supremacy, clams are often sexist and racist. Because they are the joke that happens if you don't think at all about what kind of joke you want to make. And we have lived in a sexist and racist and homophobic and etc. etc. society for long enough that many, many clams are deeply problematic. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to say the problematic part to be playing upon the clamminess of the joke. And so... Who are stupid? Supermodels. Why? Because women can either be attractive or intelligent, but not both. Mm -hmm. Never mind that Cindy Crawford, for example, had a scholarship to study molecular engineering. Yeah. Why do I know that? I don't know. I just do. (laughs) That is an interesting fact that you knew. Um, Though Captain Underpants is really dumb. Yes. He is dumb. In the same, it's a, that's a trope of like, Men, big, muscly men are dumb because you can't be both smart and muscular, basically. Yeah, and I mean, he's dumb in the same exact way. I'm I'm drawing this comparison to Hotel Transylvania that is, why is Hotel Transylvania my go-to movie to complain about? I don't know. I enjoyed it quite a bit, <laughs> despite the seriously problems. Yeah. But he is... Dumb in kind of the same way that Johnny is dumb in Hotel Transylvania 2, which if you listen to that episode is society doesn't demand much of men, so men can be stupid. Mm -hmm. It is not, uh, that is 
also a sexist joke at the expense of women, actually, not at the expense of men, because he can still be powerful and entertaining despite being stupid, because we don't expect much of him. Yeah. A woman who was that stupid would be dismissed, not would be as not frivolous. And, dismissed yeah. as frivolous. She'd be stupid in different ways. Yeah. She'd be shallow and she'd be, you know, yeah. the stereotypes run along different lines. Yeah. He's able to still be powerful and the hero. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk about the lunch lady and like the Please women do. in this? Um, so there are very few women characters in this. Basically, there's two, one and a half, because there's there's this lunch lady who's in love with the principal, Mr. Krupp, played by Kristen Schaal. Does she have a name besides lunch lady? Ethel, I think. Okay, yeah, you're right, it's Ethel. Okay. And then there's the school receptionist who spends the entire time on the phone, stereotype, uh, because she's been duped, stereotype, into... A contest, and she sits there on hold the entire movie. And that is, she, I think she does have a name, but she, yeah, basically is. The Nobel Prize is almost awarded to Professor Poopy Pants by a woman. There you go. She certainly doesn't have a name. Yeah. And I think it is extremely generous to call that a character, but it was a role for a female actor. Okay, there you go. So (laughs) Kristen Schell, the lunch lady, Ethel is uh, pathetic and uh, in love with Mr. Krupp, despite the fact that he is awful. She has basically no motivation to be in love with him other than the fact that he needs a love interest yep. somehow. Mr. Krupp is, is lonely. We see the evidence of him being lonely in his when George and Harold go to his house. And so instead of him gaining a friend, George and Harold set him up on a date Mm -hmm. with someone who continues in her role as lunch lady, even on their date, she still wears her rubber gloves. Yeah. So there's like several things to unpack there. Yeah. A lot there. (laughs) So let's take it part by part. What, I mean, in terms of, uh, representations of women maybe we don't need to say more about the fact that there's one yeah uh so this is women are extremely underrepresented in this movie and when their one does exist the one who does exist exists as a love interest who doesn't have her own motivation and personality you already covered that then we could take it in terms of heteronormativity which is kind of retreading some of that ground but from a different perspective that like Every movie has to have a romantic subplot. Why? Yeah, even a, even the children's, even a movie about children. Even a movie about children who where there are no women in it or girls in it, you have to shoehorn a female character in so that there can be a heterosexual love interest. Yeah. Because reasons. Yeah, exactly. <sighs> there should be more women in this movie, but adding one woman who is a... Who is a love interest is worse. And especially because she's a flat love interest, and especially because she's a flat love interest whose reason for existing both externally for the movie and also even internally within the logic of the characters, the reason she exists is to make Mr. Krupp a more well to make Mr. Yeah. Krupp a more well rounded character. Yep. So like 
who cares whether she is happy or what? Like, nobody. Nobody. No character in this movie, including her, cares whether she's happy. And even he insults her at one point. And it's like their last interaction is he insults her by saying he doesn't remember that she made a food made food for him. And then the next thing you know, she's getting a valentine from him. And, oh, I want to go on a date with him, even though he had insulted her and she had felt sad about it. I mean, I think that's true. I think that that actually is a scene where the movie bungled what they were trying to do rather than what they were trying. So I think what they were trying to do was have in that scene, Mr. Krupp is actually Captain Underpants. It's under the hypnosis thing. Yeah. And so he doesn't remember because he doesn't have the memories of Mr. Krupp. So he said, I don't remember you making it, but if it was as deli- as attractive as oh, your right. one blue yeah. eye. So he ends up complimenting her and kind of flirting with her. Oh, right. Yeah. Sorry. I'd forgotten about that. Um, I think that they aren't... I think that what he does is inadvertently neg her. Mm. I don't think that the filmmakers are deliberately using uh, negging. (laughs) Yeah. But, like, he insults her to diminish her self-esteem so that he can then compliment her and she'll be vulnerable. Yeah. And then she's happy to be complimented because she's in a vulnerable state that he put her in. Yeah. So... That is, yeah, that's exactly what happens. I've forgotten what, how that went. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. absolutely what happens. He nags her. Um, talk a little bit about, and I mean, I don't want to get too far off topic in terms of the, what? Before we move on, what's still talking about the lunch lady. Yeah. You mentioned that she's still wearing her gloves. Let's yeah. talk about classism. Yes, absolutely. And the lunch lady. Yeah, let's get, yeah, yeah. So what is the significance of that? Like you draw te- your attention to the fact that even on their date, she's still wearing the gloves. Why does that matter? It matters in that she doesn't have a uh, life or passions outside of her, j- her blue collar job. Right. She doesn't have a, uh, she must not actually care about anything else other than being a lunch lady because your job is all that defines you. And this is once again, something we've brought up repeatedly. Repeatedly in this podcast, but I'm going to bring it up again, which is movies are made by artists of mm-hmm. all kinds of movie making kinds, <laughs> not of all kinds. Oh. And artists tend to think that if you're not pursuing your passion professionally, you must not pursue it at all, or you must be passionate about your profession. Mm-hmm. which is simply not true. Many people have work jobs that they are not passionate about, but have passions outside of that job. And why, Jen, why might someone work a job that they're not passionate about? Hmm, let's see. Maybe to make money. <laughs> because, oh. amazingly enough, you need money to live. And if you did not have the privilege of being able to, I don't know, go to art school or go to movie school. I don't know exactly how you become a movie star because I'm not one. Um, film, film school, film school. Not movie school. Whatever, movie school, film school, that's the exact gonna, same thing. I'm going to start a movie school. <laughs> I'm just saying to be able to pursue that dream is often a privilege. Yeah. And so you, they don't, it's a, yes, yeah, a showing of their privilege to say, that, 
oh, blue collar workers, oh, uh, people who work manual labor and whatnot must all be passionate about those jobs. And don't get me wrong, there are people who are, mm-hmm. absolutely. But many people who work those kind of jobs have passions outside of those jobs and don't and can leave their work at the door when they leave and there's nothing wrong with that at all and movies and tv and this movie in particular imply that you should love your job you must love your job if you're and your identify job. by and your identi- job and identify right? by your job exactly and everything you said and then I'll add on top of it too it also is a means of um denying the possibility of social mobility. So Mm -hmm. if you're a lunch lady, you're a lunch lady forever. So at the same exact time as it is by implication saying, if you're a lunch lady, it's either because you love lunch ladying or because you have no passions. Because if you really cared about life, you could do something off some like work for DreamWorks. But at the same exact time as they're implying that uh, you could work for DreamWorks if you really wanted to, by having her keep her gloves on all the time, they're also implying that her identity is to be a lunch lady and that there is no possibility of social mobility. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yep, it's pretty much terrible all around. Um, I wanted to talk about something that is maybe encompassing a bit of a bigger topic, but I I have the microphone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you have the conch. What? <laughs> the conch. <laughs> It's from oh. Lord of the Flies. <laughs> I, th- I thought you said something else. <laughs> this book, this movie, is based on a book series, Captain Underpants. And our kids, who are both girls, uh, read and enjoy this series. But this series is very much aimed at boys. It is a boy book. And I know this because of my capacity in working for the library. See heavy quotation marks around yes. boy books. She did them with her fingers, but you couldn't see it. <laughs> yes. In my capacity of working at the library, I see this all the time. Parents come in, grandparents come in, aunts and uncle, whatever, come in and say, you know, where are your books for boys? Or where are your books for girls? And I go crazy because I go, they're books. They're books for everyone. But, but Captain Underpants... And a lot of there are a lot of books like it that are this potty humor books definitely get placed in that boy book area. That boy book, you know, if you want a book for your little boy who's having a struggle with reading, you get him a fart book, and that's that's Captain Underpants. They're very well written. They're actually really good books, and I recommend them to everyone, boys and girls especially. And that's why I gave them to my daughters to read. Um, because, but because they're, in quotes, boy books, they star boy characters, two boys, and they have very, very few, if not any, female characters, and that's a problem, Mm -hmm. especially because not just boys read it, and because boys should read about girls, and girls should read about boys, and like, it just... Mm-hmm. it's troubling because you put this in the hands of boys saying this is a book for you and they see it as, okay, my identity is a prankster who likes body humor and mm-hmm. has no grip on, has, you know, there's no emotional depth to these books whatsoever. Yeah. 
and there's a time and a place for that, but I feel like that's very what this movie and what those books are are saying is that boys can have no emotional depth. Yes. There and the movie has an anti-intellectual uh subtext also mm-hmm. which is also often aimed at boys. Yeah. That it's part of uh we talked about toxic masculinity in our other podcast but I will bring it up right now. Mm-hmm. It's part of the idea of toxic masculinity is a kind of prescribed roles of what it means to be a man that hurts both men and women and boys and girls. And part of toxic masculinity is that being uh, intellectually cur- curious is girly mm-hmm. and being girly is bad. Yeah. Being emotionally vulnerable is girly and being girly is bad. And that's bad for boys who grow up believing that they can't be intellectually curious or emotionally vulnerable. And it's bad for girls who believe that uh, they can't be silly and goofy and uh, Mm -hmm. funny and physical. And it's bad for the relationship between boys and girls because boys grow up into men who believe that they can't show their emotional vulnerability to their women in their lives or each other. And girls grow up believing that a man who tells, who shows and tells her that he cares about her is unmanly. Mm-hmm. This is toxic for everybody. And the emotional vulnerability, um, I feel like we've partly addressed already, but I want to talk a little bit about two characters who are the butt of the joke are Professor Poopy Pants, who is Professor, a mad scientist, who is evil by virtue of being a mad scientist, but more so the child who is the inventor, who invents things. Melvin. Melvin, played by Jordan Peele, by the way. Uh, He, what makes him... uh, Villainous character and also a target of mockery are three things. He doesn't get jokes, okay, but that he is a tattletale, and he is a intellectually, he's coded as intellectual. Mm-hmm. He's a suck-up in class, he wears glasses, he's the one who invented all the things in the invention thing, he's... Uh, intellectual and not, um, he's not a bro. (laughs) And that, I think this movie is not much like the uh, marriage is a prison. This movie is inheriting a lot of the subtext of that, but it's still employing it and reinforcing it. So the feminizing of that, I don't think this movie is responsible for it's also ableist because not getting jokes and things like that can be like autism and spectrum things yeah and that it yeah definitely like he's the evil character because he doesn't understand the social cues of those around him yes excellent point so and then take tie that back into this is a boy movie for boys about what it is to be a boy and the story it tells you about what it is to be as a boy is lighten up it was just a joke yeah you're right 
right? So there's a real, lighten up, it was just a joke. Don't try too hard in school. Don't be a sissy. Don't be uh, smart. Poindexter. Yeah. Like it's jock culture, which is tied into toxic masculinity. They're not athletes, but they're tied to jock culture because they are uh, antagonistic towards nerds. Mm -hmm. All of that is pretty toxic. And much as this movie, much as these series of books, yeah, I give it to my kids. They read them in bed. They laugh their heads off. They think it's hilarious. I also, though... The books to some degree and the movie even more. There's something troubling in the subtext of the whole thing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So is it good? Is it seriously good? Is it good? I think it's pretty good. Yeah. Especially, I mean, taking into account who it is aimed for, I think it's quite good. Yeah, I'd say so. I think what it's aiming to do, it does quite, quite well. Yeah. Uh, Is it seriously seriously good? good? No. (laughs) No. No. It is seriously bad. It's seriously bad, yeah. Yeah, because just because it it has no depth, and so all of its depth comes from tired stereotypes. And I mean, it's not, I think, except for... (laughs) Except for the way that there's no female, no significant female presence. Mm-hmm. Other than that, its seriously badness is mostly passive and inherited. Yeah. The no female presence, except for one, the virtually no female presence is an active uh, badness. Yes, I agree. I agree. Everything else, it's inheriting a lot of badness that mm-hmm. it's reproducing uncritically and uh, unfortunately what it's inheriting and reproducing is pretty bad, seriously. Yeah. We didn't really talk about race. Mm-hmm. Uh, George is uh, African-American and Harold is white, and that's been from the books from the beginning, and that's all uh, sad that that's, that that's like, a black and a white character have a friendship is good, is like, yay, representation, but that is representation. Yeah, And that true. is important. And he's played by Kevin Hart, who's an yep. African-American actor. Yep. And Melvin is played by Jordan Peele, who's African-American. So we have a white character played by a black actor, which, like, when does that ever happen? Yeah, in fact. I, I kind of, like, we talk, we've talked about this quite a bit as, you know, cross-racial playing. But, like, it always happens that a white character plays a character of color. This one is actually, this one is the opposite, and I think it's good. Yeah, I was going to say, like... Maybe we should stop on that for just a second and say, you've already tipped your hand and said it's good. But here's the argument that I'm going to make disingenuously for why that might not be good. And it is that uh, why not uh, make him another African-American character? So George is the only uh, character of color. Mm, Yeah. There could be another one. Mm -hmm. And why not? Yeah. There should be. There should be. But having said that, there's something kind of refreshing about this happens so often that you have white actors playing characters of color. There's something kind of refreshing about doing the opposite uh, just because it happens so rarely. Mm-hmm. And he can do his best, you know, white whiny white kid impression. And I think he does, he does a really, a really good job. Really well. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. It's just something to think about. 
yeah. the future. Okay, well, that's Captain Underpants, I guess. <laughs> that's Captain Underpants. I mean, should we say one more time? Good, seriously bad. Yep. That was Captain Underpants. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I, I'm, oh yeah, what do we say at the end of this show? If people wanted to get in touch with us, how would they do that? <laughs> if you want to tell us about uh, Captain Underpants and how you read the books when you were a kid. <laughs> oh no. Yep. Yep. My coworkers, when they were kids, read this. Oh, it's been out since the 90s, Paul. Okay. <laughs> if you want to tell us about Captain but Underpants. I've been out since the 80s. <laughs> <laughs> you can tweet to us at WTScast. You can send us an email at way too seriously cast at gmail.com you can uh, send us a carrier pigeon what else can you do for us Paul? you can find us on facebook and reddit and probably in no we're on instagram and our other one but like you know i could start an instagram why not <laughs> You can find us any of the ways you can find people. If between now and when this podcast airs, Paul has made an Instagram, it'll be in the show notes. Yeah. Um, and we'd really like to hear from you. If you enjoy what we do here, please do rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. And if you enjoy what we do here and want us to keep doing it, well, you could make it more likely that that keeps happening for a long time by supporting us on Patreon. Patreon.com slash clockworkscast. You can support us for as little as a blah, blah, blah. You've heard this before. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that just about wraps us up. I've been Paul Moffat. I've been Jan Moffat. And make sure you, when you go out this morning, you're wearing clean underwear in case you're in an accident. Right? That's, I guess that's good advice, but they don't really care. They just cut it off you. If you're not out of an accident, which, which I was. <laughs> It was, you know, because underpants. Underpants, I know. <laughs> way to take this way too seriously, Dan. I'm sorry. <laughs> it really happened to me. <laughs>